Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Open World. How's everyone doing today? Hi. Um, so today we have a very um, uh, interesting guest that we've been uh, wanting to, to interview for quite a long time now. Uh, today ha we have Ulises. Hi, Ulises. How are you? Hi. Ulises Uno is a content and localization manager at Ethermax. Ethermax uh, is um, a very popular uh, company here in Argentina where we are all based. And he's leading a strategic area for the company's gaming division, which is focused on developing and publishing worldwide social games that entertain, connect, and foster knowledge in up to 34 languages. Can you believe that? And um, he has an educational background in social science, sciences and translation. And he joined the gaming industry as a translator and a copywriter. Ulises currently leads a team of language specialists, user experience writers, and content producers, guiding them towards a product-centric mindset. Hi, Ulises. Welcome to Open World. How are you today? Hi. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, it's an honor to, to be here. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, please. The is all, it's all ours, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, we have a couple of questions for you because we're super curious to know how you got into this industry, your background, and your experience as a localization producer. Well, I, I, from what I see, you've been wearing a lot of hats, and that's super interesting and of course we want to learn from your story so first of all what aspects do you take into account when trying to reach a specific market are there any specific strategies when it comes to mobile apps and games well i would say um in just a few words that we go for the low hanging fruit first and for the long shots later so we try to see the return on investment and try to figure out whether the lifetime value of a user uh, is bigger than the cost of acquiring a user. And then in terms of the cost of acquisition, localization plays a part. So sometimes uh, you know that localizing a game into a, a, a game that was uh, first devised or first developed in English translating it into Chinese will be more costly than translated into Spanish, for example. And that's just taking the cultural aspects into account, uh, not talking about uh, possible well, dealing with censorship or dealing with a local publisher in the case of China. And yeah, it's, um, it's usually easier to to localize for the markets that are culturally closer to what you already know or kind of know so yeah we wanted to know what are the main challenges or better yet the most fun aspects of your job in a company so well known for making worldwide social games all right um, so while well, I joined the company when Trivia Crack was a sensation in Latin America, and I remember those first days as uh, well being really hectic and having uh, camera crews all the time in the office because 
you know, the media wanted to know what was about what was it about this little Argentine company that was playing the same league as giants like Zynga or uh, King. Making those first big waves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it was quite rewarding because one of my first uh, tasks was to see how to expand that initial success in Latin America over to uh, other markets. And so we started translating the user interface, localizing the content into, well, quite a few languages. And I remember when it hit number one in the US, that was, that felt so good. Wow, I bet. Yeah. I mean, how did you celebrate? Was there anything in particular that you did? I mean, uh, a we, huge milestone. Yeah, we had a party, I remember. <laughs> celebrated. Good and, Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, we would see people uh, uploading videos on YouTube, playing the game. BuzzFeed was making like quizzes on the game. And then more, um, well, it, it was a bit uh, unexpected. It, it was a huge success also in Turkey. So seeing people who don't speak a language you understand talking about the game on TV was, yeah, it, really, it was mind-blowing. And I would say that, well, the most fun and most uh, fulfilling part of my job is knowing that I can do what I like doing and I can apply the knowledge that I've enjoyed, uh, you know, um, harvesting mm -hmm. and yeah. putting into this, uh, this collaborative effort, you know, to make a game or be a success. That's yeah. And I bet like, I mean, I'm, I wish, I experienced that once in my life, like feeling <laughs> your own product kind of doesn't belong to you anymore. It's part of the community <laughs> and it's surreal to, to, to see other people like playing with, with your product and the, uh, a product that you put so much time and effort and you get to know every single person who intervened in that process. I bet it's a really amazing feeling. Yeah. Uh, at some point, we had 2 million people playing each day. <clears throat> wow. That's that Yeah. Uh, thinking just that some people were, uh, 2 million people were probably reading my translations was mind-blowing. And at the same time, I, I saw how the company grew. So we were a startup at the time. And because right. of the success of the game, we started building like a international company. And at that time, I knew everyone. We were only 60 people. And now we're like 500 people. So wow. it's really, yeah, it's gratifying that some of that uh, has to do with localization. Of course, I cannot take credit. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's that. a team effort. Right, yeah. it takes a village <laughs> to raise a a popular IP and such a successful brand like the one that you got there. And how how does it feel like to to work in such a large team? I mean, um, 
the culture. I, I know that you have a very strong culture and uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm really curious on how you build relationships once you're in that stage, right? Yeah, at some point we had to, um, you know, get together and figure out what our values are and how and how we want to work with each other. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, before that, just it was just anything goes or whatever makes everyone feel more comfortable. But now when you're so many people, you just have to have some rules and some expectations and there are certain rituals. Uh, it's like a tiny society. <laughs> yeah, you go exactly. from a from a household right to an entire community. Um, but let, let's let's jump back to the now, right? So now you guys at Ethermax localize your products in up to thirty four different languages. Yes, that's uh, correct. We know that might not always have <laughs> been like that. Uh, mm -hmm. From which languages did you start at the beginning? And can you please elaborate a little bit more about this growth and the growing pains, if there were any in the process? Yes, of course. So the very beginning for us was a game called Warcrack or Apalabrados. That was the first game we made. And it was like a Scrabble for mobile. And of course, we didn't invent the genre, uh, but what we did, did see was that there wasn't a Spanish version of that game available for iPhone users at that time. And when we released it in Spanish, it was a huge success in Spain. And soon enough, people from different like autonomous communities in Spain starting asking for a Galician version, a Basque version, a Catalan version, and so on and so forth. So, well, soon enough, we figure out that uh, we could um, offer a localized uh, version for users and that it would make sense. And then when Trivia Crack came along uh, and it fared so well in, well, a variety of countries. I think we became more aggressive in a way. Like we started adding languages and they would usually have at least a moderate success. And then I think we became a bit more uh, cost conscious because having that many languages in a, in a game can also harm your focus, right? Right. So I would say, generally speaking, we start with the EFIX in Portuguese, so English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And then we build it up from there. Uh, usually, we start with other uh, European uh, languages. Depending on the game and depending on the goals of the company at the time, it could mean adding Dutch first or Catalan first. Uh, other times it means uh, trying to uh, localize it for the East Asian market. Sometimes it's Russian. Other times it might be Southeast uh, Asian countries. It all depends. It's uh, a bit of uh, people's choice too, right? Uh, and a bit yeah, of the, market uh, research on that matter too, right? Yeah, it's a mix of uh, listening <clears throat> to, to your community and getting your numbers right and, and doing a lot of research. 
Exactly. And being mindful also of the genre of the game, because for trivia games, it's not difficult to provide a, uh, an experience in Chinese, for example, or Korean. Mm -hmm. But Scrabble, which is you play with tiles with different letters, you know, it's just impossible. <laughs> yeah, that can be quite a challenge. Yeah. And yeah. was there any particular language or languages that were more challenging than others? Hmm. Well, I, I suppose the further away you go from the Indo-European languages, <clears throat> the harder it gets for different reasons. So in some cases, like in Turkish, you have uh, two I letters, and that's a problem because we don't have them mapped out uh, in, our, well, in our database. But then East Asian uh, languages come along, you have so many languages. And then you go to Southeast Asia, and you have probably Vietnamese that doesn't look too uh, too hard because it's Latin based, but you have so many diacritics. And then you have Russian, which is, well, they don't have that many uh, characters, different letters, but they do have more than two plurals. So, yeah, yeah it all depends. Different, different challenges. Yeah. Language. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's so interesting that you learn so much because you, you start to find this similarities even though there's some languages are so uh distant from one another right yeah exactly um so we we also wanted to know what games you're playing because yeah we we're all into localization but <laughs> what bring it brings us here are games as well uh, so is there any uh, game that you would like to recommend <laughs> to us huh well, I'm not the best of gamers, and oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're not pros. We are not. We're not on esports. We are play games. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're all very busy people that we <laughs> and we don't have fun. enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I tend to play games that came out a couple of years ago. So right now I'm playing Final Fantasy VII, the the remaster uh... version. It's really good. Yeah. And I recently finished the entire Uncharted series. Uh, oh. That was really good. But what happens to me is that I see video games as a social activity. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, I play your occasional FIFA or Fall Guys online, yeah. but I prefer getting together and playing Mario Kart or, you know, Smash Brothers and stuff. So, yeah, and this pandemic is really <laughs> hard, and I quite miss it, yeah. Well, um, for the people that are not aware of what was going on before we started this session, uh, there was a box laying there because I just got my, one of my TV delivered this, uh, this week. And uh, one of the things that I, I'm looking forward to is to playing games with my friends and my couch, like <laughs> co-op. And those are one of my favorite games, actually. Uh, last year, I played a lot of Overcooked. Uh, oh, yeah. Because of this co-op factor, you know, uh, it helped me go through 
lockdown <laughs> and get, stay in touch with my friends. And I mean, it became a social space, like you said. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I, I, I have the same spirit to play co-op, but with different games. I'm a big Souls fan and Bloodborne fan. Mm-hmm. But to play co-op uh, on those difficult games, it's like to have people that help you and that have fun with you, right? Or suffer with you. <laughs> We're in this together. We're in this <laughs> together, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, moving forward to your experience, Ulysses, um, what are the most challenging features that the localization process have in video games? Is there anything in particular that <laughs> it's like keeps you up at night or do you do you have a good night's sleep every day? <laughs> <laughs> I hey, hope well, that you hope so though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say I, I do sleep well nowadays. Uh but I didn't before. Um so well first of all I think Localizing games is a complex endeavor. Uh, we mentioned a few things that getting getting the way of a perfect localization or perfect internationalization. And after some time working in the industry, I I think I come to realize and accept that there's no such thing as a perfect internationalization or localization in the real world. Right. And yeah, I used to lose sleep over it, you know, worrying about what are we going to do about the Arabic-speaking users that won't be able to see all the plurals that they have and whatnot. Um, But I guess it's just not reasonable to be a stickler of of localization. And you have to uh, try to come to terms with that. And... Yeah, and after that, you learn to compromise and uh, and prioritize. And I think the most challenging thing is to have a clear vision of where you want to go with a game or a product and think in terms of uh, incremental steps right. and finding ways to test your hypothesis and validate what you thought was right and finding ways to collaborate with the myriad of different you know, disciplines that uh, work together in building a game. Amazing advice for hmm. everyone that, that is- Yeah, everyone should be t- taking notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I am at least taking mental notes. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to go back to, well, I know that you're a super large company right now. You mentioned that you're almost 500 people over 500 people. And I know that you have presence in uh, a lot of parts of the globe. And I wanted to know how, how is that experience? Was there any opportunity where you encounter, encountered any cultural barriers with your colleagues or even with um, your partners as well, because I know that you collaborate with people from all over the world. Yes, uh, it's a funny question, really. <laughs> and I think I've encountered what many may have encountered too when working with international colleagues. You get the, you know, the 
the common share of stereotypes i would i would say like some nationalities tend to be more structured or others tend to be more laid back and whatnot but the funny thing is uh well i'm from argentina and i work in uruguay i've been working here for three years now and when i came to uruguay and started leading the the team here i soon uh i was soon I, I soon encountered that we Argentinians don't know much about your wines. Like we take for granted a lot of things. Uh, of course, we're really similar, you know, from the outside, you probably cannot tell many, many differences. Mm -hmm. And your wines know a lot more about Argentinians than we, knew, we know about them. And also they tend to, uh, they know that and they try to make us feel at ease. So we oh, always that's so sweet of them. Yes, but we underestimate the subtle differences. That's that was one problem moving. <laughs> and I'm usually, you know, really calm. I have a calm demeanor, but I'm really uh, direct and straightforward and <clears throat> like, yeah, upfront. Mm -hmm. And those qualities here are a bit frowned upon. Like you can come off as blunt or even impolite. Mm -hmm. So things that have been working for me in Argentina didn't work here. I had to relearn some social norms <laughs> to make things work. Wow, and, and I'm talking about two really similar countries. Um, yeah, for, for those that may not be familiar with the how the the map is looking over geography. here, yeah, we're pretty close to 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 Hawaii. We're pretty much one hour away. Yeah, 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 one hour away by by boat. Hmm? Yeah, uh, well, and you can also go by car, and it's like five-hour ride or something like that. But yeah, it's pretty close to, to Argentina, Buenos Aires in particular, and we even share the same language. And it's so easy, as you said, to fall into those assumptions and to think that we're so close that we're the same, but we're not. Exactly. And well, what I did learn was that it's not good to assume that what is normal to you is normal for everyone. But at the same time, you know, working in this, uh, in, in video games, you, you come to learn that cultural differences are not a barrier, but uh, an asset or, or an opportunity. You know, we need more diversity in video games. Absolutely. And if you want to reach a global audience, then having different, uh, you know, nationalities in your team could be uh, really valuable. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It makes the final product so much diverse and it it helps you reach um, a broader audience and to connect in, in a, a more deep way to, to your audience, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, going back a little bit to Ethermax. Um, now, given that you guys are working on very popular mobile franchises that include many cultural and sometimes even very specific local references, how often do you receive uh, feedback from your players? And do you have a system nowadays uh, in place to process and implement their, that feedback? 
All right. Yes, we receive a ton of feedback. <laughs> Some people are very vocal. Uh, and we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate that a lot, actually. Um, but most importantly, for our Trivia Crack family of quiz games, we have something called the Question Factory, which is a feature that not only uh, allows them to give uh, feedback, but also uh, participate in the localization, continuous localization and content generation uh, for our games. So what we do is we created this space like right from the beginning almost. Uh, users send their questions, then we process them a little bit and send them back to the users who then write them. And then we do this uh, language by language and country by country. So we make sure that your country of origin is one of the key factors that determines uh, the questions that you're going to get and henceforth the experience that you're going to have with the game. Um, and I think that has been really a really popular um, feature because right now I would say that almost 95% of the content that you see in the game uh, was created by users. Uh, especially uh, Americans and Brazilians and then Argentinians in that order are the top contributors to the, the content. order of passion. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so yeah. cool that the user experience, I mean, it's generated by the users. I mean, that speaks highly of Ethermax as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I suppose. Well, we... we it was one of the things that we saw at the very beginning when you we didn't invent trivia games of course but we did see that whenever you wanted to play a trivia game in spanish uh two things happened on the one hand there were a certain fixed amount of questions so after a while they'll start repeating themselves and the other thing was you get questions that were only relevant for uh, people in Spain. So you get questions like, uh, which of the following towns is in Extremadura? So, and I don't know the answer to that, and I really don't care. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's not it's relevant. relevant, right? Exactly. So yeah, that's, you're <laughs> doing a master in Spanish history <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> geography, <laughs> and you're right. based in Argentina, right? <laughs> Exactly. So we gave the users the chance to uh, create content and also rate it. And also we started serving it uh, based on the, their country of origin. And that has become a really uh, scalable model too, because we couldn't possibly, you know, make that many. Well, there's a couple. Uh, a couple million, well, more than a couple million, like 50 million questions nowadays. Well, There's no way. Just a million is a lot. More than a couple of million. Yeah, there's wow. just too many. Uh, there's no content or localization team in the world that could make that many. Uh, so our focus is more on 
well, how to process it, how to make the most out of it, and how to provide users with the most meaningful and pleasant uh, gaming experience. That's incredible. I love That's that incredible. you came up with that system and that it's working so well. Um, and I also want to, to know if there's any specific tool that, that you used through this specific process or through the, the localization process in general. Uh, because I know, like you said, you have millions of, of questions and I bet it was also interesting to, to streamline this process through some sort of technology, right? Yes. <clears throat> well, when it comes to the questions themselves, uh, we use tools that we build uh, ourselves in-house. Uh, it's quite specific. There was no one that provided it. Uh, but when it comes to <clears throat> the localization of the interface, mm -hmm. uh, we started with our own tool as well. And it quickly became you know, uh, not worthy. It was really costly to maintain it. Uh, it was uh, really a hassle. And soon enough, we started looking for a, for a tool that could do that for us. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, probably there was a need to reinvent the wheel, right? Exactly. Exactly. And well, in that respect, I don't know if I can mention the, the, the tool itself that we oh, are it's using. Okay. <laughs> uh, we don't want to break any NDAs or put you in the spot, but th there are uh, many uh, tools in the market that generally um, cover the main features, uh, some may cover some different aspects, but mm -hmm. generally what they do is process tons of words simultaneously and have some sort of translation memory or glossary that you can uh, access to and keep consistency throughout the, the languages, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but I can tell you about the requirements on our side. Uh, oh, please. So what, what we needed was Hey, well, we had a we have our team of freelancers, so we had we had to have something in place that would work for them. So we had to have translation memory and see uh, a cat tool as well. Mm -hmm. And from our side, we had to add a uh, translation management system as well, and it had to be decentralized uh, because we have many games and not all the games have a translation manager so we had to find something that could work for that workflow and at the same time we needed a uh, continuous translation uh, so you know uh, translation tasks should, should flow like uh, really fluently and yeah, I think those are the main requirements. And of course, we appreciate LQA, as any anyone does in the in the business. Oh yeah, quality is everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we want to go to the meme section now, if that's okay with you. I know that you have a pretty interesting story to to share about memes because i know that you've 
created some sort of museum around memes with some of your <laughs> yes. colleagues and friends. Uh, so I want to do hear you wanna, about that too. Yeah. Do you want to share more details on how that was born? Of course. Um, well, first of all, I love memes. I think everyone, <laughs> everyone here loves memes. Yeah, yeah, you're in the right space here. <laughs> yes, my friend. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, a really generational uh, phenomenon as well. So we're all millennials and that uh, has hit us harder than all other generations, maybe. Mm-hmm. And we take uh, memes so seriously, they're such a big part of our life that we started thinking, isn't it almost like an art form? Uh, isn't it the way that we're communicating now with other adults <laughs> too? Uh, isn't it the way we socialize? And we, uh, we also learn a lot more about uh, the other person. Like the memes that the other person likes probably tells, uh, tells you a lot about them. And we thought that it would be funny to uh, make this meme museum. So a place where we could discuss memes and preserve to preserve the memes that are worth preserving, like, you know, a, a good old painting. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think it's also interesting because localization and memes, you know, there's, there's a connection there. Um, yeah, well, we were just discussing this the other day because yeah. uh, one of my questions is, is when are we going to start like thinking about meme localization? Because I know there are many um, dev teams, even publishers that are trying to reach their communities and they found that memes generate this engagement that we're looking for so sometimes you need to translate them and even localize them and go like full culturalization with the meme in order for culturalizing memes yeah for (laughs) for the other person to get it i have a lot of english-speaking friends that i sometimes share memes with and some are very super super specific to the argentinian culture and i need to like give them like a whole full explanation of when I was born uh, and what culture I was immersed, what programs or TV shows I used to watch to get to the conclusion. Of course, the fun aspect is lost in between <laughs> because right. they got bored in the whole explanation. But they have such a huge cultural baggage sometimes that it's hard to portray the message. Yeah, exactly. I think... Well, I, I'm probably you heard the mantra that goes like to go global, you need to think local or something mm-hmm. along those lines when it comes to yeah. localization. And I think memes are probably the epitome of that mantra because it's a global phenomenon. But at the same time, the ones that, you know, uh, get you really to the uh, deepest part of your heart is, mm-hmm. are the ones that are hyper localized. Uh, the ones that you understand them because you were born and you grew up in a certain place at a certain time. And that's, well, that's a challenge <laughs> to, to, to translate and trans-culturalize uh, them. Hell yeah. I mean, we take memes seriously here. We take memes <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Um, but I also uh, think they're, um, I'm sorry. I no, think it's they're, okay. it's like um, 
So right, I take it so seriously. <laughs> but I think Thank memes can well, trust me. <laughs> memes can bring uh, humanity together. I think much like localization, because mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing that we can laugh at the same things, and you know, being able to uh, to be in this generation and seeing how we're laughing at the same uh, topics or the same like entities. I don't know. If, it, if that doesn't bring us together, then I don't know what will. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yesterday I was talking to one of my best friends and I was so tired that we were just talking through stickers and memes and GIFs. That's my language when my brain is dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sociological subject on its own. Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, and it can portray a whole mood or a whole vibe or a whole even political stance, you know, it's, it can get as personal as you want them to. Yeah. So we're going to get personal. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. I'm going right. to share. This is too real. This, this hits too close to, too close to home. Yeah. I guess so. I don't know yeah. why, but it, it 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 does happen. Yeah, especially well sometimes lately I, I've had some of those days when I've been like for hours in a call, like jumping from one call to the next. And <laughs> I start to um of course I start to um, lose concentration, lose focus. And whenever that happens, I just stand up, just go to or maybe take a walk around or something because, yeah, it, I've been there so many times. Oh, the next one. Well, <laughs> the same thing can apply to Resident Evil 4. Right? How many consoles do a single game oh, need? Yeah. <laughs> well, my sense on on that is that if the game is good enough, then it should survive and come to the next and generation console. Yeah. yeah. And it certainly it does. And yeah. my my concern is that not enough good not not enough good games are going out or being released right that we are continue to playing that amazingly good game but it's 10 years old well but it takes years to build a game that is actually good and that can stand for decades and have have communities yeah, of followers true. for decades so that's maybe true. that's why <laughs> there are many yeah. other reasons probably there but yeah, for sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can totally relate to this. Yes. Yes, totally. So my favorite game of all time is Super Mario World. And I play it every year. And I play through it through every year. Uh, and I cannot... who do you play? I'm sorry? With who do you play generally? Friends? Family? Oh, no, that one I play alone. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, Super Mario World is, you know, I, 
I, I can beat it with my eyes closed at this time. Oh, you're that good. I, no, I just like it that much, and I play that many times. It's uh, an amazing game. I had it back in the mid-90s, and when I bought my Super Nintendo Mini, yeah, I started it over again, and it was like I, I felt like a little kid again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I think that's what makes me feel. Exactly, that's what's great about it that it gets you back to that space like um a child again right yeah (laughs) (laughs) well there's yeah yeah it's (laughs) I, i could be talking for hours and debate about video games making people violent like no no i mean look at us <laughs> right yeah exactly and the media portrayal of video games I, I suppose it's gonna change at some point like so many people are playing games now that we have smartphones and there's casual games for literally everyone yeah. i don't know it should it should change that perception it's so old. I mean, I, I, I like to believe that it's already changing. Like we, we talked just a couple of minutes ago. Um, it's becoming a social space and everyone is pretty aware of that already. Um, <laughs> so I think it's like this idea will get old uh, soon, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Now... I, I yes. have some. I have something that I want to ask. Who was that that just ca- did a cameo on screen? Where Jesus, I need to know the name of that beauty. Oh, you're talking about what my cat. What am I missing? Wait, you are missing something, Floor. <gasps> we had a cat cameo. We love cat cameos here. I'm sorry to expose you, but oh, we need proper introductions. She is Arabella. One of the yeah, the two cats that live here, but she's a more uh the more extroverted one. And she oh likes to God. Yeah. She likes to say hi. Hi, Sorry, I, yeah, had we're... To, I had to meet her. Sorry, you, you listen. Yes, <laughs> no problem. Thank you. That was absolutely necessary, Alexis. Thank you. <laughs> oh, please, at your service. <laughs> so, going back to this. <laughs> Every Who single hasn't time. tried that? Who hasn't tried to drive normal? On a GTA game or something, it's impossible. I just can't. It's, impo- <clears throat> it's impossible. Yeah, well, totally. It, it, re- it reminds me also, well, well to every single uh, car game, when whenever there's a car involved, I just can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a really bad driver in the real world, so imagining games when there are no consequences. <laughs> Well, in the real world, uh, I've been told that I'm fearless, so that's that can be a problem. 
that's something good but that's to totally take into consideration, no, Flo. But, yeah, I have never me? Car with me. <laughs> um, I still have to get my driver li- driver's license. Yeah, I'm 33 years old. Uh, I'm an adult, and I don't have a driver. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it, it, it can happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm here. Um, so, yeah, this meme also reminds me of whenever I try to play Rocket League. <laughs> I'm flying in the I air. I suck so bad at Rocket League. I'm all over the place when I play Rocket League. <laughs> it's like, hey, look at the ball. And I'm like, oh. yeah. something but- like this. <laughs> But then again, I'm bad at driving and I'm bad at playing football. So it's only normal that I suck at Rocket League. (laughs) Well, you probably have a lot of other skills and we are convinced about that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that there's... uh, yeah, there's a Twitter that where you can see that like different scenes in games where you can pet the the animals that appear on the screen. Oh, really? Yeah, I have to share oh, it with you because it's super cute. Yeah, uh, I can relate to this. I prefer <laughs> animals to humans too in real life. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why my roommates are cats. <laughs> And that's how she died old and alone with a ton of cats. <laughs> but you're so young, Flor. You you have time to get more cats. Yeah, always. <laughs> cats and plants. Um, so that was the the end of our meme round. Um <laughs> Thank you so fun. For taking yeah. the time out of your busy, busy schedule to meet with us, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I had so much fun, and I really enjoyed uh, getting to know more of you and your your story in this industry, which is super interesting. Thank you for joining us today. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it was really fun, <laughs> and well, I look forward to seeing you guys in Buenos Aires when I can travel. Yeah, well, I look forward to traveling either to Uruguay or to wherever. I look forward <laughs> yeah, to in Uruguay uh, too, man. I, I miss we, that country so much. It would be great to get together for drinks or for a game session or something. And yeah, that sounds good. To see in person. Uh, we're definitely going to leave the meme museum link over uh, there and uh, YouTube because... Uh, people should see this. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, I, I really appreciate it. And it's a, a gem, a hidden gem that everyone should be aware of. Thank you so Thank much, you. Ulises. Thank you so much, Alexis. So nice to, to be Thank here with you, you today. Bro. Thanks everyone for joining Thank and you, see you in our Thank next you. episode. Take care. Bye, Bye guys.